Hi, I'm Dr. Adam Balio. I make the Integrated Pharmacist podcast. I left a career in the entertainment industry to pursue the healing arts. I worked on and off stage for Cirque du Soleil, and I sang professionally on the Las Vegas Strip. I have a wife and five children, and I work hard to support them. Ever since my wife was healed through functional medicine, I have been interested in integrating Western medicine with complementary and alternative medicine. I enjoy the power of storytelling, and I believe healing can come from stories as much as from chemistry. After graduating from Roseman University in Henderson, Nevada, I accepted a pharmacy residency focused on functional medicine with the University of Wisconsin in Madison at the hometown pharmacy in Beaver Dam. In my podcast, I strive to present research that supports integrative medicine. I cover supplements, herbs, and other products, as well as activities and services that can help with different health challenges. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Let's Pharmanize, a proud member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm Cal Vandegrift. I'm Shane Garrison. <laughs> and I'm Mickey Ferguson. And today we're going to talk about plants and the drugs we use on them. All that and more on Let's Pharmanize. of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The views and opinions expressed within are those of the authors and speakers themselves and do not necessarily represent any affiliated institution or third party. So let me get this straight. Plants use drugs? Plants do use drugs. Hmm. Unfortunately, they don't have hands with which to take them, so we have to, you know, put them on the plants. Some plants have fingers. Some plants... Like the foxglove. China, that's like our state plant, and I can't think of it. It is? I think so. It's one of the state plants. Wait, I thought... Well, no. might, that might be Kentucky. Dogwood's a tree. Dogwood is it's what I'm thinking of. It's still a plant. Trees are plants. Yeah, like, that... Is, does it count as the state plant, though? Is there a difference between the state tree and the state plant? There can be a state freaking anything. <laughs> what did we vote on for the state aquatic mammal? That's going to be the bottlenose dolphin, I'm pretty sure. I thought that's what we voted on. Yeah. Anyone who thinks we're kidding, we're not kidding. What other state aquatic mammal would you want? I don't know. Seals are pretty cool. Seagull. Are there seals native to North Carolina? Well, no, but are dolphins? Yeah, to the beaches. Oh. Seagull. That's not an aquatic mammal. I Close. Mean, I mean, it almost is. Close. It lives. I'm wearing a seagull shirt right now. That's why I mentioned it. Which I thought was a duck before. Just full, full disclosure. North Carolina's state plant is the Venus flytrap. Is it really? Oh, wow. it's the state carnivorous plant. What? There's only like one of How those. many divisions? It's a dogwood. It is? It's yeah. A, it's a dogwood tree. Designated in 1941. I think it's time to change that. Well, does it have any negative connotations? No. I think it's a pretty... But it's been so long, it's time to, you know, we need an update. You ever, like, have been around dogwoods when they bloom and stuff, though? They get kind of messy. They, they leave Yeah, they're messy, but the they're ground. also really pretty. They're the ones with, like, the white flowers. Yeah. That... yeah. What about the gasso nut? <laughs> <laughs> Can we import that and then make that the street tree? <laughs> That's a throwback, dude. It would probably be like a like a, a pest, a pestilence, the gaso nut, this, this pervasive infestation. Okay, I think we've ad-libbed enough. You can start. Okay. 
So I'd like to just start out with like a historical framing of why drugs we use on plants are important. Originally, people were using like fertilizers and stuff that contain like nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus. You know, enrich the soil. Each kind of crop and plant needs different combinations of these minerals in order to grow fully and to grow properly. But the actual first use of drugs, specifically chemicals on plants, is actually as a defoliant to kill plants. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So let me take you back all the way to the 1940s. I don't want to set the world on fire. We just ended World War II. Everyone's having a real bad time. Vietnam. Well, the U.S. wasn't having a real bad time immediately after World War II, but um, everyone else was. Depends on what part of the U.S. you're talking about. We had like a massive industrial boom. Yeah. We got out of the recession because of that. Yeah. But uh, we resegregated the workforce along oh, yeah. race. Yeah. And Europe's a mess. So Vietnam wants its independence from France, which was known to the French as Tonkin and known to the rest of the world as French Indochina. And that sparked the first French Indochina War, where the Viet Minh, who, if either of you are familiar with the Vietnam War, also fought against the Americans when the Americans came. The big problem the French were running into is that there was a lot of jungle in Vietnam. And ultimately, they lost that war because they couldn't figure out how to fight in the jungle. I think the only super successful um, battles that the French had were when they employed the Foreign Legion, which is their elite special forces unit. And even they got their butts handed to them eventually, and they all had to withdraw. So for a few years, Vietnam was split between the North and the South. The North was socialist, not communist yet. And the South was led by um, a democracy for a short time before it got overtaken by a dictator, which was backed by the U.S. Then the U.S. decides to enter the war after some questionable motives, we'll say, from Henry Kissinger, who basically was told, find a reason to go to war in Vietnam, please. We need to keep the Soviets out. So they get to Vietnam, and they're having the same problem that the French are having. It's really hard to fight in the jungle. Um, The foliage sort of gives them visual cover from helicopters and from planes. It makes it harder for the troops to move through and to navigate. It also makes it more dangerous because you can hide combatants and traps in the jungle. So the U.S. was sort of figuring, well, what can we do about this? And they were like, well, what if we just kill all the trees? okay, well, can we just drop bombs on them to kill them? It's like, oh, that's really inefficient. Let's try chemicals. So specifically, the chemical composition that was chosen was one of the quote-unquote rainbow herbicides. All of these were developed before the Vietnam War, but they were never implemented in combat until the Vietnam War. Can you guys guess where they tested them? Like where they tested, like, all of the all the tree killer drugs before they implemented mm-hmm. them? Yep. Thomasville, North Carolina. Korea. No, and no. Well, I don't know. Hawaii and Guam. Oh, okay. So right on American sovereign soil, they were spraying these chemicals, which turned out to be extremely carcinogenic and extremely teratogenic. It wasn't the only testing they were doing in the 50s and 60s. No, but at least with the nuclear test in Nevada, there was no one around, really. I guess. Uh, Speaking of marine animals just getting wrecked and making a very popular kid's show out of that bikini atoll talking about spongebob yeah remember licking doorknobs is illegal on other planets oh yeah unbelievable i didn't know that that was like a 
an inspiration for SpongeBob. We can't get back into the SpongeBob. We've covered SpongeBob topics a lot in the last month. Why not? I like SpongeBob. It's a fun show. But uh, we're talking about land plants here. So they decide to use Agent Orange. which unfortunately is the most potent of the rainbow herbicides. They spray it all over the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Ho Chi Minh, for those of you who don't know, was the leader of the communist Vietnamese in North Vietnam, who eventually would unite Vietnam and rule a somewhat peaceful existence because as soon as Vietnam got its independence, everyone was worried that they'd ally with China or the Soviet Union. People don't remember that for most of human history, China and Vietnam do not like each other. Like, at all. China has tried to invade Vietnam multiple times throughout the last millennium. <laughs> so the whole reason we're in Vietnam doesn't make sense, but we're just going to go ahead and kill all of the native foliage and all of the native animals along with it. So that was really fun. And uh, th- just to top it off, numbers are disputed, but anywhere between one and three million people were affected by Agent Orange, both U.S. service members and the Vietnamese people. However, suspiciously, only the U.S. service members have been given any kind of reparation for that. And there are numerous pictures online of children born to mothers who are exposed to Agent Orange who have pretty bad physical deformities like missing feet or misshapen arms or those kind of birth defects. So if you guys remember from our P2 year, what trimester pregnancy typically do you see those sort of like macro level deformities? It's a little bit later, second or third. I I was going to say earlier, honestly, first or second. I, I'm going to split the difference. I want to say it's the second trimester. Oh, so we were both half right. Right in the middle. So second trimester is when that typically affects people. Um, and there's some carcinogenicity with Agent Orange. However, the rates of that have been heavily disputed. It's way less apparent than the teratogenicity of this chemical. And it, it bears stating that all of the rainbow chemicals have these properties. It's not just Agent Orange. There's also Agent Green, Agent Pink, Purple, Blue, and White. And then there's two updated versions of Agent Orange, which are extra bad because, oh, they're uncreatively Agent Orange 2, Agent Orange 3, and Enhanced Agent Orange Plus, (laughs) also known as Super Orange. Enhanced Agent Orange Plus sounds like a gas station pill, honestly. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, it really does. (laughs) That Agent Orange 3000. So what's the inspiration for the colorful names? Typically, it's just to obfuscate what they're actually for. Okay, um, so there's, there, there's no, like, direct derivative of the color name? No, because these the color names aren't used in any other military jargon. Okay. There's purposefully, like, obfuscating sort of language used, so... It's like code names, I guess, kind yeah, of arbitrary. Code names and, like, operations. So, like, when you have Operation uh, Barbarossa, which was the German effort to attack the East, you have, I think, I can't remember what the, the operation name for... D-Day was it? Was it Operation Overlord? I that, think it was Operation I, Overlord. I think so. And the um, the other one was Market Garden. That was the paratrooping. Yeah, Operation, Operation Market Garden. So you'll have these military names that are just meant to make it harder to figure out what you're talking about, especially if you're already encrypting it. So we used that. That was the first like huge use of a chemical specifically for plants. And after that, we found out eh, it's probably not good to use because it causes massive birth defects. So we're just not going to use it on our own stuff, but we'll continue to use it overseas. (laughs) And it was used all the way up until around the 70s to to clear out 
swaths of jungle. So what does it actually do to the plants? Because I always imagine Agent Orange, I kind of conflated it with napalm and thought of it as just like a, like a, a fuel, like a fire accelerant. What is it exactly? So Agent Orange is a type of auxin, which is sort of a metabolic block for plants and people. So it blocks the necessary metabolic processes for that plant to grow. Okay. So if you have a small amount of it, it's actually a growth booster. But once you get above a certain threshold, then it constantly blocks a metabolic pathway that allows the plant to continue growing. Mm. So I believe the standard procedure would be to firebomb using white phosphorus and then coat it with Agent Orange so anything that didn't die in the fire couldn't grow. And that lasted... the, the, The saving grace of Agent Orange is that it's not as permanently destructive to flora as something like salting the earth or intentionally sowing minerals in the soil. Mm. It does tend to go away, I want to say, four to five years after it's placed. That's still a long time. Oh, it is. It's extremely like hydrophilic, too. It's like this big, pull it up here for y'all. It's like an imidazole ring with a couple side chains. It's like 235 trimethyl phenoxidic acid or something. While he's looking that up, I just want to mention, too, that I think Agent Orange wasn't just passed, like, if, if you already had it. Uh, if you were already pregnant or whatnot, I think it became genetic where like uh, a lot of second generation people that were exposed to Agent Orange had like really bad cases of their children having spina bifida and other hmm. um, <clears throat> congenital defects. Yeah, that is true because if when you look at the, the structure, so all of these chemicals right here are components of Agent Orange. It's actually a, a mixture of different ones. But to continue with our theme, that Agent Orange was used up until about the 70s for like really large-scale defoliants, and then you would plant over them with other crops. I imagine it was used until the mid-'70s because Vietnam didn't end until 1975. Well, I think as soon as the U.S. started figuring out that they're not going to win and that they they were pulling out troops, they stopped using it. Wasn't there something like there was a consideration for just throwing Agent Orange over Saigon right before it fell? Something like that? Like, I read that somewhere once. It might be white phosphorus, but... maybe. Agent Orange is not going to do much damage to people uh, initially. Yeah, not directly at least. Yeah, that's a good point. I read it somewhere, though. Maybe not. Never mind. Uh, Aren't Ho Chi Minh City and Saigon the same same. same thing? It's just called Ho Chi Minh City now. Yeah, which, I mean, for seeing how Vietnam ended up, I think they really bounced back after getting hit with Agent Orange so hard Um, because the initial Indochina war between France and Vietnam. That, I think, ended up with around 600,000 wounded or killed uh, combined. The Vietnam War was over a million. Well, I know the reason that Ho Chi Minh became increasingly expansive during the 80s and 90s was because they had such an agricultural issue after Agent Orange was deployed in their jungles. And that was the main reason why they had to grow more economically or else they would not have survived or else the country would have collapsed. Well, yeah, but that's not like, that might be why they survived, but that's not like, that doesn't explain how they grew. No, but I'm saying they couldn't rely on agriculture anymore because they were a largely agricultural society leading up to the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. That's that's a little bit beyond the scope of talking about Agent Orange, but I digress. Yeah, so now we can go ahead and move on to some of the more modern drugs we have for plants, and they're actually... Uh, a lot nicer to plants. They don't just kill them. We can also help them. But first, a word from our sponsor. So 
So some of the beneficial drugs that we have for plants are antifungals. So these are actually the same antifungals we give to people. Ketoconazole, clotrimazole, all these antifungals just keep the fungus from overgrowing the plants and help them stay alive. We also have amphotericin B, which I don't know if you guys remember, but ampho B is sort of a problem for humans as far as like you need to watch out for like toxicities. On plants, it's really not that big of a deal. Hmm. They handle it really well. Because they don't have kidneys. Precisely. <laughs> Most plants, at least. If your plant has kidneys, yeah. please consult the nearest FBI agent. Do kidney beans have kidneys? <laughs> they are the they kidneys. They are just one kidney. So I guess you can't use info on kidney beans. Everything else but kidney beans yeah. is good. Keep that in mind, kids. <laughs> And we also have sulfates. So these are any of the sulfa drugs we can actually just sprinkle on plants. And if they have like bacterial infections or like the blight, that can help too. So why would you need to use, I, I get it more for fungal, but why would you need to use an antibacterial on, on a plant? Like realistically, what, what purpose does that serve short of maybe uh, agricultural purposes? So you would want to use an anti uh, antibiotic on plants especially for ones that are uh, glucose fermenting, the ones that really like glucose, because a lot of the cash crops that we have nowadays, like corn, like potatoes, like sugarcane, all have sugar. They all have glucose in them. Right. And those bacteria can break it down and rot it, and if that spreads to a whole field, and see how that might be a problem. Generally, um, antibiotic stewardship on this kind of thing is actually way better than it is for animals. So for those of you who don't know, antibiotic stewardship is sort of we're watching the systemic use of antibiotics to make sure that uh, different bacteria can't grow resistance to the antibiotics we use. In plants, antibiotic use is actually only really done after an infection is spotted. It's not done like it is in farming with animals where you have you give it proactively, which is really good from our standpoint, so we don't have to really worry about those bacteria becoming resistant to them. But it does raise the question of how long are these going to work on plants? Because we only have so many different antifungals, and I don't think any of the econocannons, the, like, for lay people, that's the most common you'd get for like a, uh, like a candida infection, right? Yeah, like systemic candidemia. Yeah, you would get that. Those don't do anything for plants. So hmm. once we're out of the azoles and amphobe, we're pretty much done. We're out of ideas. No, I wonder why that is. I mean, uh, when you're giving something like a, uh, an azole to a plant, I'm imagining, well, you don't crush up a tablet and just sprinkle it on the ground. You probably spray them with something, I'm imagining. Yeah, you it, can spray them. You typically want to target it to the areas uh, most concentrated with fungus because mm -hmm. those are concentration-dependent drugs for killing uh, fungi. I wonder if the, the kinocandins probably just have an issue being in liquid form or, or they have some issues with that. Maybe that's that's why I can't imagine why else they wouldn't work. Yeah. Aren't those typically administered by uh, IV? I the think so. Mycofungin, I think, is an IV yeah. only. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. So it might just be an issue of getting the concentration to the fungus in that case. Hmm. I honestly don't know specifically why conocannons aren't used in plant medicine, but they didn't come up in my reading at all. And then... They're only reconstituted for IV infusion. Ah, gotcha. It could also just be like the, the shelf life of it. Maybe if you expose it to the elements, if it's in like the sunlight, it just breaks down. Hmm. Yeah, there could be a number of factors. Yeah, so the last thing I want to talk about is not necessarily a drug, but it is like a medical therapy for plants. 
and that would be uh, CRISPR-Cas9. Are either of you familiar with gene editing, that kind of stuff? I know vaguely about CRISPR, yeah. Yeah, so I believe I couldn't find a direct source on this, but I want to say Monsanto was the first commercial company to use uh, CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing for enhancing crop yield, enhancing uh, crop size, that kind of thing. And I want to say that was in the, like, the early 2000s, like 2003, 2004. But before that, we also had gene editing techniques, but they were just way messier. So I work in a lab. We work with plasmid DNA and all that kind of stuff. If you can get plasmid DNA into enough of the cells in like a seed or as it's germinating, then you can actually edit the genes that way as well. It's just way harder and it's way more finicky. Hmm. But CRISPR-Cas9, for those who don't know, you basically get two elements, CRISPR and Cas9. You shove them into the nucleus and one of them clips the DNA open and then one of them inserts new DNA per its instructions. And then your own cells zip it back up and you're ready to express those new genes. I just want to mention, because I found the answer to why echinocandins aren't used, but echinocandins inhibit 1,3-beta-D-glucan synthesis, which is present in a fungal cell wall. It's also a similar molecule is present in plant cell walls, which is the main reason why you can't use an echinocandin, because it'll just okay. bind to the cell wall. Yeah, it'll just plant. kill everything. Mm-hmm. Should be not super useful. Hmm. But yeah, that was a good little walkthrough of like the good things we do with plants as far as drugs go, and then the bad things. Cause... So the real question that we have to ask is, Um, Should I use Roundup or is it going to give me cancer? That one's going to be a hard maybe for me. I think that the evidence is compelling enough to just not use it because I don't care about weeds in my non-existent yard because I don't have a yard. But I don't know. Maybe you just hate weeds so much that you're okay with a little cancer. I don't hate weeds. I like them. You like them? Weeds can be a drug too. (laughs) How many weeds do you have? Many weeds. We're getting thrown out. I have a really weird circle. Okay, so in my front yard, so you know I've got a ginkgo tree. Yeah. All right. So around this ginkgo tree is like a maybe a 10-foot radius circle of this very unique grass that's nowhere else in my yard. And it's like the blades are purple on one side. I have seen this patch of grass. And it's in, in like an almost perfect circle around the ginkgo tree. And then around that circle is another circle of dandelions which are concentrated in a circle around the circle of weird grass around my ginkgo tree in my front yard. That's actually really cool. I would like to see that like in person. It's weird. It's aliens. So what that probably is, is the ginkgo tree needs certain nutrients from the soil. It slurps all those up. The grass that's growing around the ginkgo tree needs a different set of nutrients, and it's able to get that and slurp it up because it is, it's not always a one-way system. Mm-hmm. This is why you do crop rotations. Certain plants take stuff from the soil and some and give it back as uh, it rots and withers and gets back into the soil. And then maybe the dandelions are just like, dandelions are notoriously like easy to grow. So they probably are just like, I'll grow anywhere. Hey, this looks like a nice spot. No, I'm not buying it. I think it's aliens growing ginkgo crop circles or something. Kelly thinks that it's a fairy circle. And then if I step into it at night, I'll be taken by the fae. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be turned into a magical girl and be given a a contract by a weird animal being to fight the forces of evil. Maybe. But if I see any, like, breadcrumb trails, not following. No, I wouldn't. No. We've all read Grimm's Fairy Tales. I know what you're talking about. I have not read it, but I know what you're talking about. 
you probably got it read to you as a kid. My I mom read, read it. it, but I mean, like, I don't think I've ever sat down and read it. I don't think. Hmm. I, I mean, I know the day. story. Maybe I don't know. Okay. I know the story of it. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter to keep up with our episodes and content. And special thanks to Kelly Kerr for making our music. 